Hi, and welcome to the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. In this episode, I get to talk with Simon Archer. Um, also, you can find him on Facebook at Wise Wood Sculptor, all the way from the UK. Hi, Simon. Hi, Molly. Thanks for being on. Well, thank you for asking me. I feel like uh, I've hit big time. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the first question I have for you, mm-hmm. what's your story? How did you get started chainsaw carving? Oh, um, well, I suppose going back to childhood, uh, I'll try and make this really brief. Art was always a subject of school that I really loved. Uh, and then getting through into high school, um, I could kind of find myself failing in quite a few subjects, but I was I was always excelling at, at art, and that was something that really excited me. Um, so after after a few few glitches after school, because I didn't do great with my qualifications, uh, I ended up getting talked into going to university with a mate as a mature student, and it. We were both in jobs that we hated, and we thought, what the hell, we'll give it a go. And he ended up dropping out after the first year, and uh, I absolutely loved it. I had sort of naive expectations of becoming uh, like a book or an album illustrator. And I, okay. I quickly discovered that although I can paint, I'm, I wasn't great at mixing colours. I think I'm slightly colourblind. So I found that a little bit frustrating, but we... The, the the first couple of years of the, the the degree course, it was sort of split into sort of two or three week modules. So we literally just covered every art subject you could. Um, and I just really fell in love with uh, like the 3D modules and working with sculpture. It just clicked mm-hmm. with me. And that, that was the first time really I can, other than, you know, like being a toddler and playing with Play-Doh and stuff. Um, that that really clicked, and uh, I, I kind of knew from that point on I was going to go in that direction. So got through the degree course, um, and we did lots of different types of sculpture, from you know sort of body casting, bronze casting, um, wood carving, and I, I was sort of experimenting with like unusual materials as well, and it, it's hard to say this without sounding like some sort of weird serial killer, but I was sort of using uh, bones, like animal skulls and things. And I kind of got into creating beautiful things out of things that are perceived as horrible or ugly. Um, Yeah. So I I was messing around with that. and It was only really towards the end and after I graduated that I really got into wood. And then I became obsessed with like traditional carving techniques so it was all sort of um carving chisels axes adzes uh, and it was a very laborious process creating pieces i did that for years and then the work started getting bigger scale so i got a saw just to do like the literal block out and then i would spend weeks hand carving it afterwards um, sure. so, but yeah it, it was quite a long process to get to the point where I was actually carving the saws um, probably looking I think it was l- late 90s early 2000s 
we'd moved to Cardiff in South Wales and um, I was working with a, a group of other artists for uh, a local sculptor called Dillis Jackson. Um, and we, we, she used to run workshops and schools and stuff. And I got to know a lot of other artists in the area. And there was this guy, Rawley, whose parents owned like a little small holding. And it, it was almost like a, a hippie commune within the woods there. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, you want to do some carving, come into the woods. There was like lots of sculpture installations everywhere. So that, that was my first proper chainsaw carving. I went into the woods carved this sort of two and a half, three foot um, mushroom cap and then found a, a, a dead tree stump to stick it on. Uh, pretty basic stuff, really, but it was all exciting new stuff back then for me. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of um, moved back up to Liverpool in 2008, 2009. And I, I started doing a little bit of carving up here, but again, it was it was either like really really big scale and just using standard bars. I, did, I didn't really know about carving bars back then. Um, I, I kind of knew chainsaw carving was a thing, but I hadn't actually seen it up close. Didn't really know what it was all about, but I had I, I'd, I'd wanted for ages to get um, to go on a course and learn how to use a chainsaw properly because I really didn't know what I was doing at all. I, I, I could barely mix the fuel. It's embarrassing yeah. thinking back. Um, and then uh, I got I got chatting to um, Simon O'Rourke, who everybody knows on, on Facebook, and I found out he was doing a, a commission in my village for one of the local schools back in, I think that was about 2011 or something like that. So I, I pestered him. Went and saw him when he was on site, and he, you know, he, he was he's a great guy, and he he listened to me, and he was really supportive, and just said, just find the money, go on the course, you'll never look back, and you know, he was right, I did it. Um, I mean, I, it was it was a struggle at the time because we'd got young kids, and it's like trying to justify spending the money to go off and do this course, and then you know, buy saws and well, you know what it's like. It's just it's a money pit, isn't it? Right. Yeah. Um, and then the following year, I did my first uh, chainsaw carving competition, which was uh, Carve Carbridge up in Scotland. Um, that was quite an experience. Totally, yeah. totally ill-prepared and blown away <laughs> by what people can actually do in four hours. Uh yeah, my, my my attempt was awful, but it was a huge, steep learning curve. <laughs> yeah, uh, and you, I always learn a lot. Yeah, at those events. Yeah, Carve Carbridge is a tough competition because it is chainsaw only. Okay. Um, I'm I'm much more comfortable using other tools as well. That's my sort of happy place. Doing as much as I can with a saw, but. Uh, it's difficult to finish a piece just with a saw. Mm-hmm. Um, but them's the rules. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, so, there, there you go in a nutshell. That's my that's my journey. That's cool. Um, 
Okay, I was going to ask you next. So I've seen you do a lot of like relief carvings. How did you mm-hmm. get started with relief carvings? Um, well, I suppose that, uh, gosh, I think initially it goes back pre-chainsaw using sort of traditional tools. Um, I've done quite a few sort of small scale relief pieces just with chisels and things. Um, but the the sort of chainsaw carved ones really, I suppose they came about through a shortage of, of wood. You know, it's, it's weird. I, I, my, my workshop is within a woodland in a nature reserve, but the the trees just aren't great. So I've always mm-hmm. got to have wood brought into me. Um, and I, I think at the time I'd got a few sort of slabs cut for benches and things. And I, w- I was using sort of little off cuts, just trying to keep things moving as a business. Um, sure. And I just kind of stumbled on it really. I suppose one of the exterior influences would be Simon O'Rourke again, because I think at, at that time he was doing these fire sketches, which were like really, really just hardly touching the surface at all. It was just burning and sanding and, you know, a few sort of cut marks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they look fantastic. And I, I think I was, I'd seen them on, on Facebook and stuff. And um, we we were doing um, a show in Wales, Woodfest, Wales one year. And he was there and he had a few of them in his store. Um, so it was good to see them up close and personal. And I, I was kind of blown away by how little he'd actually touched the surface. Um, I, it kind of spurred me on to play around a bit more as well. But my, my, my process is very different to his. You know, I, I, it's, it's that sort of background of the traditional carving where it's in layers. You know, so the mm-hmm. f- further something away is, it's it's lower in the in the piece. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I've, it's just something I like doing. Um, I find a lot of the time it's easier than carving something in the round because you you know you're only. I like to do a side profile more than um, sort of front on. They're quite difficult to do, but uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you can lay out uh, a side profile pretty easily and you're only worrying about one side. You know, like with a, with a 3D carving, it might look brilliant from one angle, but you you turn it slightly and it's gone wonky somewhere. It doesn't look right. <laughs> right. Then, I always wonder, too, with relief carvings, I don't have a shop. I mainly take commission work, so uh-huh. I don't know. But I wonder if more people would be apt to buy them just because they they hang on a wall anywhere. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That I mean that's that's another good reason to to have a go with doing them. Um people always have space on a wall for a painting or something, so Right. Why not a carving? And you know, the the the, the time that goes into them, it makes them more affordable than um, a carving as well. Um sure. and they're they're indoor pieces. So they last longer. Um, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I really love doing them. Um, and I, it's got to the stage now where I get commissioned to do them. It's not just me faffing around in a workshop, coming up with ideas. You know, people say, yeah, I love that. I want one. Um, yeah. And there's pet portraits as well. Um, obviously, they're a bit trickier because you've got to You've got to get them right, haven't you? Otherwise, it's it's not their pet. Right. Yeah, that would be tough. What yeah. would you say? What do you think is the most challenging thing about relief carvings? Is it getting the different layers of depth, or? Yeah, I think I think it probably would be. It's trying to create depth in something that's so shallow, isn't it? Um, I think yeah. I think other than do, trying to do um, uh, it's trying to capture a, a pet's sort of personality um for personally for me like the the face on is the hardest especially with like dogs or foxes and things because they've got that long muzzle um you try you're trying to squash all that into such a small area uh right yeah that that's that's pretty tricky and i always try and avoid doing that if possible if if someone wants a pet portrait or something I'll, I'll try and sort of steer them towards a side portrait mm-hmm. um so yeah i mean i've done i've done a couple of schools sort of full frontal um but yeah it's hard you i suppose you just gotta you gotta play around with burning and stuff haven't you so that you know the the more burnt something is the further it's set back and you're highlighting it with sanders and things as well so Sure. So you're creating depth with the value too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all, it's, it's like a cross between, um, a carving and a painting, isn't it really? Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're just touching the surface and changing the colors and the shading. Yeah, Yeah, I can see that. Okay. Next question. Where, where do you typically draw inspiration from? Where do you get most of your ideas? Well, uh, I'm going to have to give you the edited version. Uh, maybe one day <laughs> you'll get the full version um, around a campfire. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I do, I do a lot of nature. So, natural environment is a is a big inspiration to me. I mean, my workshops. I don't know where you. <laughs> whether you know about National Trust, it's 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 a big sort of charity that owns lots of historical buildings and uh, uh, properties and it's got a big portfolio across the UK. They, okay. own, they own this strip of the countryside on our coast here. Um, it's like a nature reserve. So my, my workshops are within that nature reserve. Um, I, it's quite an unusual coastline because it's on a, you know, it's like sandy beaches, big big dunes, um, but it's on a sort of cycle of erosion. We can lose sort of ten, twelve meters in it in a year from the dune front. Um, oh, wow. So it's it's constantly changing, and there's there's lots of different um, habitats within that environment. So we've got. Um, like natterjack toads, red squirrels, sand lizards, uh, re- really important species 
right on our doorstep. So we're, we're, we're really lucky to have this. And I'm, I'm really passionate about being within that environment. Um, so when I'm working, I quite often get visited by red squirrels and the occasional fox. Um, and we've got there's a pair of buzzards just behind me that I quite often see sort of circling above me. So yeah, that that sort of natural environment thing is a is a big influence on what I'm passionate about, um, and it, I guess it's linked to sort of mythologies and things, folklore. I find that sort of stuff really fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I don't understand it, but there's this sort of strange connection you know, with hares and and owls and foxes and you know almost like a i think there's it's, it's a sort of european mythology it's a real mixing pot of stuff and weird stories um yeah i love that sort of stuff but i guess cool. you know over there it's eagles and bears that the, there's a similar sort of mythology isn't there there's something magical about yeah them. yeah no there is i just i actually just had um we have a lake in front of us and there was a wolf hanging out on the lake the other day so that wow. was cool watching him walk yeah. around yeah that's special yeah okay so i've seen you post about the oh my goodness how do you even say you say it manpa how do you say it mampa Mampa. Mampa. Okay. Mampa. Yeah. Mampa tools. Things were out. I always read it and then I'm like, I've never heard anyone say it. But <laughs> you post about the Mampa Mini. Yeah. And uh what do you like the most about that? Or what do you like about using it? Um oh, well, I mean Mampa tools in general are are really handy tools to have. I just I, they're really well made. They I mean they're super sharp, straight out of the box. Um, I mean the Mampa Minis you've got like a little triangular cutter head and you've got a round profile one um, and I, I don't know whether you're kind of familiar with um, the Harry Kane cutters that attach the saws uh, and that was the, yeah. the, 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 the bigger one isn't it the trog hauler or something they call it, it the, I've got the that's, smaller one the Harry Kane type. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're, they're like those, but on a on a miniature miniature scale. Um, okay. So you can either have them on um on your die grinder. So I think over there it'd be like a quarter inch shaft. Mm-hmm. We've got uh we've got the metric one six mil. Uh, or or you have it on the on the the eighth shaft it's sort of tapered down to fit uh dremels and the four is it fordums fordums i don't know how you pronounce it um yeah but, yep. yeah, but like the the sort of business end of it the the cutter are exactly the same it's just you've got the option of one for a dremel uh and one for the die grinder uh okay I, i've got both personally i prefer the die grinder because it's it just seems a bit more beefy, but yeah, they're just great for getting in little bits of detail. And I mean, I I've only had it um a week or two, 
I think with all these new okay. tools, you, you've got to give yourself time to play an experiment, haven't you? Yes, you know, th- yeah. Thinking back to my sort of transition from hand tools to chainsaws, it probably took me about three years to actually start producing work I was happy with. <laughs> right. Sometimes you have the vision, and if you don't know how to use the tool yet, you just can't get it. Yeah, right. and it, it is. It's it's a it's a learning process, isn't it? And you know, every every time you carve something, you learn something from it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, I mean, the the Mampa stuff, I mean, it's, the range is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, honestly, you've you've got to keep selling work to be able to buy all these cool things. (laughs) Right. I know I've been hearing about it a lot and it's, they're on my list, but I don't have them yet. (laughs) Mm, I mean, I I, I do like the bigger ones as well, because they've got the um, the, uh, multi-cutter, which is, like the Harry Kane. Okay. But obviously it goes onto a grinder rather than your saw. Um but again you've got you've got options of different cutter heads so you can have like a square tooth, a triangular tooth or the round tooth. And they, they all have you know all, all these different marks. Um sure. they've even they've even got like a belt sander as well which is like a, a the big daddy of the like Makita finger file type power file sanders okay that might be cool too i don't know maybe it's just the tool that i have mine on but my belt sander i always wish it was more powerful mm, yeah well my my workshop doesn't have electricity because i'm out in the middle of nowhere so i'm kind of reliant on a um, generator and I, i'm convinced mm-hmm. it's it's only running like three quarters the, the speed it should be oh sure <laughs> <laughs> it's like more power <laughs> okay um i saw you that you've been working on lino cuts or like linoleum prints yeah how, how did that come about uh well uh lockdown i suppose um yeah when when it all first kicked off um it was all a bit strange wasn't it didn't know what to do um mm-hmm. the the yard that i'm based in the the um reserve closed and it i just felt it wasn't safe for me to to go into work because there's just no one you know i I was thinking if if anything was to happen to me um there's no one in earshot to come and help um Mm -hmm. and I, i i don't get a phone signal in work i've got to sort of walk 250 yards to to pick up a signal so I thought you know if if I get crushed by a log or I cut my leg off or something I'm done for so I thought I won't go into work I'll I'll wait and see what happens with this Covid business Um, and it it was fine to be honest for the first month or so because there was the novelty of just it was just nice having that sort of family time with the kids and the missus and it was all chilled Mm -hmm. Um, my wife was working from home, so we we weren't desperate f- for an income coming in. You know, we could get by for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd given me a big long list of jobs to do around the house, so I was doing that for a few weeks. Um, and then we had this massive heat wave, so I thought, all right, okay, cool. So we did the back garden, 
I still couldn't get back into work. I was thinking, what am I going to do for money? I need to start doing something. Um, and I saw um, another amazing UK artist, Dan Cordell, which I, don't know, I know you know him. Um, yeah. He, he was dabbling with lino cuts. I saw them on Instagram and thought, God, they are cool. And it, it took me back to me university days because obviously we were doing all sorts of different modules back then. And one of them was a few sessions in the print workshops. Um, and I, you know, I'd done lino cutting and um, dry point and lithograph printing back then and really loved it. And I think because, because you've, you've, you fin- finish that chapter in your life and you don't have access to all those cool bits of equipment. Um, you leave it behind and I kind of forgotten all about it. And seeing Dan's lino prints sort of sparked a longing to have another go at it. So, uh, yeah, I thought, yeah, sod it. I'll, I'll have a crack at that. So I did a few and, um, yeah, it's one of those things I'll, I'll keep sort of dipping into. Um, but okay. I think, what what was really nice was the eldest daughter. Um, she was really interested in it, so she, she, we were working side by side. She was doing her little prints, I was doing mine. It, it was cool. Oh, that's fun. So you know, yeah, she she wouldn't pick up a saw and start carving with me. But, um, <laughs> it, it, it's nice that we had that shared moment. Once in a while, too, chainsaw carving is my favorite. But once in a while, I'm a little bit jealous of art that can be done inside. Mm. <laughs> yeah, my, my I think my my goal really is to um, start slowly investing in uh, battery tools so I can start working indoors. Uh, I'm yeah. quite jealous of these people who have these nice warm workshops and just sort of pootle about with their battery saws. Right. True. I agree. Out of the rain. So, I know. <laughs> um, I saw that you participated in an online carving competition. What yeah. Was, what was that like? Did it work or how, how'd that go? Yeah, yeah, I think it did. Um, I ended up doing two in the end, but it was, I think it was the, it was the brainchild of Mark Earp who helps to organize the English Open. Um, okay. So it was it was obviously because all the shows and events were cancelled. Um we were all at a bit of a loss. Um it's it's quite a big chunk of your income gone, let alone right. sort of missing out on the, the social aspect of it. Because it's you know, we all we all love to have a get together, don't we, around um a campfire. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us are working on our own most of the year. It's it's nice to catch up with like-minded people and and have a laugh. So I think there was, there was an element of that. How can we sort of join up and and, and do something communal? Um, so yeah, I got I got asked if I wanted to be involved in it. I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and it was certainly a lot less stressful than a real competition. You just <laughs> turn up and film yourself carving something. Sure. So um, you, so you. You did a carving at your place, and you just sent in the the video. Is that how it worked? Yeah, yeah. Basically, um, if you didn't have it on your phone, you had to download uh, like a time lapse app, um, okay. 
and I think I think we were given like an hour or an hour and a half, something like that, to carve something. So yeah. you just I just set my phone up on a tripod and I was like, right, I've got I've got half a day to try and knock something out because I've got other things coming in to do. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? Um, so I just did like a bust of a, a woman's head and went for it. But yeah, you literally film it, uh, ping it off to Mark, and then he—I'm trying to remember how it how it was done. I think it was done in it was done in groups, and the winner of each group went through to the next round. Um, it was oh, just put on—it was put on Facebook. Um, people and then the voting. People, yeah, people voted on likes. So oh. whoever. Whoever whoever's piece got the most likes uh, got through to the next round, and it it all it all honestly it all started off as like a bit of fun, and then yeah. um, as it got further and further along, it got more and more serious. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of banter going on because I that I think I know most of the people that were entering. Yeah, I think I, I think I survived the first round and was knocked out on the second round, but it got quite funny later on because you know the the last few were desperate to win likes and they were you know sort of trying to bribe people with bottles of whiskey to like their piece more than somebody else's so, yeah it's a good laugh yeah well, cool so yeah de- um, definitely a good idea know. yeah i know i actually i was talking to my husband and i i take so many commissions so a lot of what i'm creating isn't you know, my creativity, it's someone else's idea. Mm. Um, and I think well, collaboration. And when I go to competitions, it's my design mm-hmm. and more me being an artist. And uh, I, I missed that this year. So I'm feeling a little like I haven't been able to make anything that I wanted to make. <laughs> mm. Yeah. It's a difficult balance, isn't it? Um, yeah. I do, I do always try and make some time to do my own stuff um, yeah you know just n- nothing vastly important just sort of experiment with stuff really right it's a good idea I think it, I think it just helps to uh, keep things fresh doesn't it because you can get a little bit bogged down by people's demands for things all the time yeah and I, I don't think I realized how much the competition kind of released me from that and let me do my own thing. But now that I didn't have them this year, I can tell I'm missing them. <laughs> mm. Yeah. No, they are a big thing, aren't they? Big part of our lives. Yeah. Okay. So you might've answered this a little bit earlier when you were talking about linoleum, but I was going to ask you if you've been able to find ways to sell during the pandemic, but I know you said a little bit of that was that switch to linoleum. Have you done anything else? Um, what have I done? Um, I I, th- I think to be honest, I've probably done more on-site carvings than I usually do, which has okay. helped. Um, I think I, I'm not sure what it's like over by you, but uh, over here, there's been people have either been working from home or they've been furloughed. Uh, it's just been like one big long holiday for a lot of people um mm-hmm. so they're at home a lot more and i think because they're because they're stuck at home they're wanting to 
Im- improve their surroundings and you know the, the fact that they can't spend the money on going on holiday a lot of people have probably thought you know let's let's spend a bit of money getting the garden sorted this year or, you know um so I, I think a lot more opportunities have arisen through that because people are getting work done in the gardens and you know they've had a tree cut down um they want something nice out of the stump so that's kind of that's a good point i think, I think yeah. that's true here too because the the home improvement stores have been really busy and running out of lumber <laughs> mm. yeah i mean everybody's done a garden project this year haven't they yeah well now um i finally finished our patio earlier on in the year but yeah i think that's yeah. that that's kind of uh being my saving grace really because there's not been any shows to go to. I've not done any markets. I mean, not not normally. Um, come sort of November, I'd I'd have had a couple of Christmas markets booked. Um, sure, yeah. I, I would have been making Christmas trees since October, probably in readiness. Yeah. I've probably made two or three this year. Um, but you know, I've I've been lucky enough to have Christmas work coming in um but it's 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 finding that balance of when to say no isn't it Um, yeah that's that's the truth (laughs) yeah okay and then the last thing i was going to ask you or is uh what advice do you have for other carvers who are newer to this or just getting started uh gosh um i suppose the first first couple of points would be health and safety orientated um i know things are a bit different in the states but i would say ppp oh sorry ppe personal protective equipment so air defenders some sort of eye protection chainsaw trousers or chaps and chainsaw boots um I know a lot of people would say, God, do you really need all of those? But um, it, it's kind of drummed into us over in the UK. Um, yeah. And following on from that, some sort of chainsaw proficiency course, uh, I think would be really useful. Um, but minimum over here is like a two-day maintenance and cross-cut. And you know you you basically learn what is what all these different things on the saw and what they do all the little safety features um how to start it how to cut it off you know chain break and all that sort of thing you, there's the maintenance side so you can you can sharpen a chain you can dress your bar you can change your clutch you can even they even teach you how to um put on a new um pull cord on the flywheel and you okay. do your, you do your cross cutting and your bore cutting and you, you you know if if you're not used to using a chainsaw it's it's invaluable really because it it gives you the opportunity to to use it in a in a safe way with a bit of supervision just to get your confidence up um right and you know if you can if you can man- maintain your saw to the basic standards that's going to save you a fortune in the long run. Um, mm-hmm. And then, you know, 
when you get into sort of carving bars and things, you can, you know, pick up little tricks of taking the, the backs of the cutters off to help it go around the, the narrower tips uh, of the bar. That's going to be more understandable once you've got that basic knowledge, isn't it? Um, yeah. And I think it's hard to learn that without some sort of help from someone who knows. Um, yeah. And if you're doing it in a course, you're not picking up bad habits from other people. You know, it's this is this is the best way to do it. There you go, crack on. And right. over here, you certainly need that basic qualification to get um, a place at a show or a comp. Um, and if you, I mean, if you're carving as a hobby and you're not doing shows, then you know it's it's not essential. But I would certainly recommend it. And if if you're aiming to go pro, you certainly need something like that to back up your insurance. Um, sure. Um, but yeah, health and safety aside, I would say don't be afraid to ask advice from other carvers. You know, don't be shy. We've all had to start from the beginning. Um, some of us have learned the hard way. There's easier ways to learn. Just ask. <laughs> um, <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, st studying carving videos. You know, there's, there's, we're all making carving videos these days. There's loads to choose from. It wasn't so much. Yeah, there is. A few years there is a ago. Lot more than a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, but I still think. It, it's it's no substitution for having a go yourself because you you learn so much more from just carving, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think you've got to be careful when you're watching these videos because you know some of these people you watch are exceptional carvers, and they make it look like a breeze, and then you think, oh, God, that looks so easy, and then you try yeah, and have I a go, and you're like. What? <laughs> where, where have I gone wrong here? It doesn't look remotely right. anything like what it's supposed to. And it, it's it's that repetitive practice of carving, carving, carving. You know, that's that's where you really learn. That's how you, mm -hmm. you know, you. That's how you connect to the saw and to the wood. You can't learn that from videos, but they do. I guess they do help. Um, uh, next, I'd say just believe in yourself. Each carving's a, a learning experience. Um, don't get complacent with what you're creating or your tools, uh, especially your tools, because that's when you can hurt yourself. Um, and I'd say always study your subject matter. So, you know, if you're carving... Um, fox or a bear or an owl or you know whatever take take the time and research what it is you're trying to carve don't don't ever rely on other carvers attempts at something to guide you as you want to carve I've, i see that quite a lot on some of these carving forums on facebook you know someone says oh i've got, I've got to carve a, a bear um post up some bear photos so I know what I'm doing. And it's like Oh just, right. Yeah. You know do a bit of research, get some good photos of bears. <laughs> you can't get any better reference than the actual animal, can you? Um, 
Right. If you get a copy of a copy of a copy, you start to lose lose something. Exactly. In the translation. Yeah. Yeah. And if if you don't if you don't understand what it is you're trying to carve, then you're unknowingly copying someone else's mistakes who didn't know what they was they were carving either. Um, right. So yeah, always I would say always always get your references from the actual thing you're trying to carve, not other people's renditions of it. Um, yeah. I suppose my last my last piece of advice, um, if you can draw, just draw and sketch constantly. I think it really helps you to understand what you're seeing. Um, it's it's so easy to look at something and just assume you know the connection between like one aspect of it to the to the next, but drawing helps to lock that into your mind and you can kind of retain that to when you're at the stage where you're carving it it's mm-hmm. it's hard to put into words but it, it it's a bit like a muscle memory type thing but sketching, yeah. sketching things constantly helps to lock the reality of it in your mind's eye so when, when you're carving it you're more confident with the cuts you're making mm-hmm. um rather than just glancing at a photograph and going oh yeah and then trying to wing it you know you you can't be a photograph to work from reference but you need to uh, the the drawing element helps you to to zo- uh, zoom in on those particular elements in, in, a, in a like a 3d sense yeah um, like when i'm looking at a photograph if i don't um translate that photograph into lines mm-hmm. it really helps to understand where to cut yeah too. so yeah i think is there, is there anything else that i didn't ask you that i should have um i don't think so i mean i've i'm sure i've missed i've answered all the questions i'm sure i've missed out loads of stuff but um how could we tell it all it'd probably be a several hour podcast if we told it all i know yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> yeah well, well cool. I've, I've kept it clean and light so it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you being on. Well, I, I really appreciate being asked, Molly. Um, like I said before, it's, it feels quite a kudos moment. It's like, wow, uh, somebody wants to know about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was great to get to actually talk to you. Because, I mean, I see your stuff on Facebook, but it's not the same. Mm, yeah. Well, hopefully um, at some point in the near future, We'll get to meet face to face. Yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping sometime when this is all over that I can do some more international shows. Mm. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd certainly like to do some more. I mean, I've, I've been over to the States a couple of times for Chaptacular, but um, yeah, I'd like to. Okay. I'd like to see a bit more of America, and, and there's a bit there's a big big event scene over there, isn't there? And you could you go yeah, there are quite a for a couple of months traveling around. You gotta find one that gives you good travel money to help help with that plane ticket a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's covering your costs. Yep. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Chainsaw Carving Podcast. Be sure to go and check out all our other episodes. And if you like the podcast, if you could like it, share it, um, rate it, so that other carvers can find the podcast too. Thanks.